worship team. Church, if you have your Bibles, if you will, turn with me to the book of James. And we are going to be studying out of the book of James chapter 5 today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. But I want to start off by telling you a story. In the book, Leadership in Turbulent Times, it explains that Abraham Lincoln had to educate himself. He was not able to attend formal education, and therefore he had to take the initiative. The book said that he had to assume the responsibility for securing books, deciding what to read, and to be, he became his own teacher. The book then said he made things happen instead of just waiting for them to happen. He was intentional on becoming educated. He was intentional on reading and learning and education. And though to us, that may not seem like a big deal because we know how influential he was as a, uh, as a, pre as a preacher, <laughs> as the president, right? We know how influential he was and, and, and how educated he was. And if you read anything about Abraham Lincoln, they talk about the stories he would tell and how he was able to retain knowledge and be able to remember everything that he ever studied and everything that he ever read and the stories that he heard. And because of that, he was very, very influential in his presidency as he taught and as he spoke. And so to us, it was not a really a big deal, right? Because hindsight's twenty twenty. And so we see this man and we read stories about him and we think, well, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. But the reality was it was a big deal because it did not come easy. You see, his father, Thomas, wanted Abraham to work. He didn't want him to seek out an education. According to him, he should have been a working man out in the fields, working on the farm, cutting logs. And he told his son to forget about education. It is said that he thought his son was deceiving himself with his quest for education. You see, the odds were stacked against Abraham Lincoln. Grew up impoverished. Grew up very poor. Lost his mother at a very early age. And then his own father looked at him and said, don't study. Don't worry about all those books. Don't worry about going to school. We can't afford it anyway, so here's what I need you to do. I need you just to forget about it and get out here in the fields with me. But in the face of opposition, Abraham Lincoln, what he didn't do, is he did not complain and he did not cry and he did not listen to me. He did not give up. As the book said, he made it happen. He took it upon himself, and he never quit. He continued to educate himself in the face of being told to stop, in the face of his father punishing him for educating himself. You see, he'd be out working in the fields, and when he would give his horses a break, he would pull out a book out of his pocket and begin reading it, and his father would say, uh-uh, put it away. And so he kept being told to stop. However, he kept going and he educated himself and became one of the most influential presidents in U.S. history. He made it happen. Several years ago, when I first entered into ministry, um, I was preaching one Sunday morning. And a very influential person in our church, a very influential man came up to me. His name was Dwight Grow. He's no longer with us. But Dwight Grow was very influential in the church. When he spoke, everybody listened to him. And he came up to me right after I was done preaching one Sunday. And he said, Preacher, I want to talk to you. Let's sit down. I said, okay. And so me and him sat down together. And he looked at me and said, Preacher, we need a revival. 
He said, preacher, we need God to sweep through this church and our nation. And after he said that, I started to agree with him. I said, Dwight, absolutely, that's exactly what we need. He said, stop. And I looked at him. And very harshly, he said, no, you need to listen. I said, okay, Dwight, what are you talking about? And he said, preacher, we need a revival. He said, preacher, we need God to sweep through our nation. We need God to sweep through our churches. We need God to sweep through our homes. He said, we need God to come in here and we need him to sweep. And the church, listen to this, he said, the church needs to step up and make it happen. And I didn't know what to say after he had harshly told me to stop and listen, so I just sat there and looked at him. And he continued on, and he said, in order for that to happen, the church needs to stop sitting idly by. He said, preacher, the revival will never happen if the church continues to sit on their hands. And he said, preacher, if we actually want to see this happen, the first thing that needs to happen is the church needs to learn to pray again. And I looked right at him and I said, you're right. Now, I'm not saying that we have forgotten how to pray. I, I, I believe that. I believe that we, we know how to pray. I'm not saying that we have forgotten to pray. I know this church, and I know several people that are listening in live stream, and I know other churches. I know we know how to pray. However, if, 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 if I can say this, I do believe that we, and that, that is myself included, that we, as a collective whole, as the church, the big C, the nationwide and worldwide, I, I think that we have to be careful because if we're not careful, then we will end up allowing the distractions of this world to keep our attention and we will get our priorities all mixed up. If we're not careful, we will focus on everything else and by the time we know it, our priorities are going to be so screwed up that we don't even know where to start. We don't know how to bring about change and the truth is, our first reactions have a tendency to be, they never should be, but we have a tendency when, when something happens, our first reaction is to sit back, complain, kick, and scream, we cry about it, and we belittle each other, we down each other, we point fingers, and we blame each other. When we see chaos happening, we turn on the news, our first reaction, we have such a strong tendency to blame the other side. I don't even know what that means anymore when I hear the other side. I, I don't know what that means. Because according to the news, there's all kinds of sides right now. But what we have a tendency to do is we complain, kick, and scream. We sit back, God, why is this happening? And we blame each other. And we say it's their fault. It's that other person's fault. It's that group's fault. When in reality, our first reaction should be to hit our knees in prayer and take it to God. Now, I'm not sure about you guys, but when I flip through this thing that we call a Bible, and I look through its pages, nowhere in there does God say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to blame the other person. Better yet, I want you to blame the other person so much so that you belittle them and dehumanize them. Nowhere in here does it say, what I want you to do is I want you to get on Facebook and complain about it. I, I, I personally haven't seen that in my Bible. But do you know what it does say? It says that we need to hit our knees in prayer and take it to God, church. 
That I have seen in Scripture in, on many different places. So if we want to see change, if we want to see a movement, if we want to see a revival, if we want to see people come back to God, if we want to continue to be the church, then we need to follow Lincoln's example, and we need to make it happen. We need to make it happen, church. We can't just sit by idly and just say, you know what, someone else will take care of it. Oh, it will happen. God will do it. You know how God does it, guys? He uses the church. He uses us. You and I. And he says, I want to use you, but you're too busy complaining. And nothing's happening. And God is sitting there saying, all you got to do is come to me. And I'll tell you what to do. And where does it start? How do, we, how do we make it happen? Well, it's really simple. We become people of prayer. We want to see this happen, church. We want to see that change. We want to see the, the revival. We want to see our nation turn back to, to God. Well, it starts by the church hitting its knees. Because I got it. The, the governments do what the governments do, guys. People are going to do what people do. Evil runs rampant through this, through this world. But you want to know something? Our God is greater than any problem that we will ever face. You, 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 you think that we're, 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 we're all alone and this is brand new? The issues we're facing? No, go to the Old Testament. Read about their problems. We have to become people of prayer. We've got to take it to God. William Carey said prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. Secret, fervent, believing prayer. Go with me to James chapter 5. In James chapter 5, beginning with verse 16, I'm actually going to read the King James Version because I like some of the words that they used here. James chapter 5, beginning with verse 16, it says this, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, James, if you've never read his book before, I strongly encourage you to do so. James is a very powerful writer because James had some authority in his writing. And I love the way he writes because he writes directly to us. He says, this is what you need to do. He is very direct and very firm with the church, and I love it. I, I wish that we were still allowed to speak to each other the way he spoke because he said, no, no, look, you are messing up. This is how you've got to be. And I, and I love it, and I love reading because it's so convicting, and he tells us the way that it needs to be. And so here in this verse, actually, if you read the whole passage there, um, the ending section of his letter, he's calling the church to action. He says, look, you can't just sit there and expect things to happen. He says, look, no, you've got to make it happen. And how do we do that? He says, you've got to go to prayer. You've got to go to God in prayer. He says, are you in trouble? Pray about it. He says, are you happy? Are things going well? Great, perfect, sing about it. Take it to prayer and give God all the praises. He says, are you sick? That's terrible, but pray about it. Better yet, call the elders of the church together and let's pray together about it. He says, do you need healing right now? Guess what, church, what does he, what does he say? Pray about it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking to deaf ears this morning, am I, guys? No. He calls us the action, and he says what? He says to pray about it, guys. Take it to prayer. And I'm using the King James Version on, on this verse because I love the word that's used. 
Now, this is the, the, now this is the English translation, obviously, but, it, but, it, but it's fervent. Oh, I love that word, because if you look at the definition of it, it is displaying passionate intensity. He says a fervent prayer, a passionate prayer. These aren't passive prayers. This is not just a simple, boring, on-the-fly prayers. We all know what kind of prayers I'm talking about. He's talking about fervent, passionate prayers. These are the deep, passionate, heart-burning, fire-raging prayers. The NIV translation says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So in other words, fervent, passionate prayer of a righteous person has power. Church, I want to tell you something this morning. Your prayers are not just words that you just speak to the wind. Your prayers are being heard by the creator of the universe. When you pray, you are invoking the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me tell you something this morning. Your prayers have power. They are being heard and they're not being ignored. So when we come to a problem, when we come to, to, a, to an obstacle that we don't know what to do, guess what? I know someone that does know what to do, and that's the Lord God Almighty. And he's saying, all you got to do is come to me. He says, take it to prayer. In 2016, our general superintendent, Dr. Wayne Schmidt, he wrote this. He says, as you, as you engage in focused prayer, I think you'll find out what I have discovered. Oftentimes, I feel conviction that something should happen and that God wants it to happen. As a Wesleyan praying with this focus, I often remind myself that if God wants it to happen, and it hasn't happened yet, then maybe it's because I haven't done my part yet. And he continues writing and says, we have not because we ask not. Many people say prayer changes more than it changes anything, or changes me more than it changes anything else. I would say that prayer motivates me more than it motivates God. And he continues writing, and this is, he explains it. He says, God's already motivated to act, but I'm the one that needs the extra motivation to do what it takes. And he says, perhaps you do too. Church, do we need that motivation to step up and take action? Because we, we, we all know there needs to be change, right? Right, church? Come on now. There needs to be change in our world. I don't know if you guys are keeping up with what's happening, but we are going down a path that is not righteous and holy. There needs to be change. And there are lost souls in this world that need Jesus, aren't there? People need Jesus, guys. And if I would go around this sanctuary right now, and I'd ask each of you, I guarantee you there are needs in your life that need action, right? There are things that you are probably struggling with. There are things that I'm struggling with. Each of us have a need, right? Whether it be financial, relational, whether it be health, sickness, education, whatever, whatever your need is. I know each of us have a need. So we know there needs to be change. We know people need to step up and take action to reach the lost souls. And each of us have personal needs that are going on. And so the question then stands, what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? Are we just sitting complacently, idly by, just expecting something to happen? Are we just sitting back saying, you know what, someone else will take care of it? And then we turn on the news and we think, oh man, how could that happen? Or are we making it happen? Are we fervently praying and actively seeking God's guidance, church? 
if we want to take action, it starts by prayer. Church, it starts by taking it to the Lord God Almighty. Prayer is not this cliche thing that, we have be, that we've made it into. It's not this, 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 this Sunday school answer of, oh yes, I'll pray about it and then go home and, well, not actually pray about it. You see, prayer is the most powerful tool that we have. And here's the amazing thing about prayer. It enables a multitude of changes. When we pray, when, 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 when we hit our knees in prayer, we are invoking the power of the Holy Spirit and we are talking to the creator of the universe. He has the ability to make change. So when we pray, it enables change as long as it's within his will. And so here's a couple of things that prayer does. Number one, prayer brings about unity. You see, prayer opens the door for unity. The scripture says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. Throughout his letter, if you actually read it, you will see with me that, 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 that James is deeply concerned about unity and fellowship. And so he ends his letter and he says, we are to confess our wrongdoings to each other. He says, have you wronged somebody? Have you hurt somebody? Well, go back and say, I'm sorry, because you've got to make it right. He says that we are to have a spirit of penitence, however hard and costly it may be. We simply must be prepared to go to the one that we have wronged and confess our fault and make things right. He says, is there a hurt among you? Stop. Make it right. Do not let it linger. My dad has always told me, he says, son, problems do not age well. Problems don't age well. The longer we leave them linger, the more bitterness and anger we have the more resentment that comes because we look at that person and say, they have wronged me. Or better yet, that person's looking at you and saying, you know what, you wronged me and you're doing nothing to fix it. And James is saying, look, I need you to fix that wrong. You will never have fellowship. You will never have unity unless you right your wrongs. Simply say, I'm sorry. And seek that reconciliation. And then in the same spirit, he continues and says, we are to pray for each other. Jesus said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Church, I want to tell you something this morning. It is really hard to hate somebody that you pray for. It says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Yeah, he's talking about that person. Now, I know you all have that person. Every single one of us do. That person in our life that we look at them and our stomach just tightens up and we get angry. He says pray for them. You see, it's really hard to have bitterness, anger, and hatred towards somebody if we're praying for them. And if you don't believe me, let me prove it to you. Go home and try it. When you're praying for somebody's well-being, when you're praying for their salvation, when you're praying that God will bless them, when you are praying for God to intervene in their life, it's really hard to see that God loves them and you want the best for them. It's really hard to say amen and then go about your business hating them. Because what you're doing is you're creating love in your heart for that person because you want the best for them through God. It is really hard to hate somebody that you're praying for. Listen to me. We have to pray for them. Prayer creates a spirit of unity. And why is that important? Well, I'll tell you why that's important. Because division will crush a church. You don't think the enemy is using that division right now to completely crush the church, guys? Oh, he's working on it. And he's succeeding. And he's sitting back smiling because he doesn't have to do any more work. He creates that division. We'll do the work for him. 
You see, unity is important because when we're united, we can do anything, guys. Division creates anger. Anger breeds hate. And when we are divided, we look at the whole people or the other side with contempt and bitterness. It's hard to be children of God. It's hard to be God's warriors when we have hate in our heart, guys. And so take it to prayer. Scripture tells us that we are meant to be one body in Christ, united. And so when we seek to make reconciliation and we pray for one another, we will begin seeing that unity. But here's the thing. It starts with me. And it starts with you. We can't sit back and expect that other person to do the work, guys, and expect the unity just to happen. We can't preach unity expecting the other side to do it. And when they come back at us, well, no, no, we can't have that unity because way back, guys, we can't preach unity and then, when, and then push it away when it comes to our door. It starts with us. If we want to have that unity, we got to be willing to give it, guys. We've we got to be willing to compromise. We've got to be willing to pray for them. We've got to be willing to work with them. You can't expect unity from the other side if you're not willing to do it yourself. And I'm talking about all fronts, not just political right now. I'm talking in everything. Within our own families, within our own churches. We've got to have unity because the more we're divided, the easier it's going to be for the enemy to get a foothold in our lives, guys. And a lot easier it's going to be to destroy us. Prayer creates a spirit of unity. And we need that in our lives right now. Can we agree on that? We need that unity. And it starts with prayer. The second thing is this. Healing. Prayer brings healing. And these are the only two points I have today. Because I'm not sure about you guys, but I'm pretty convinced that right now, in our individual lives, in our families' lives, in our churches' lives, in our state lives, in our nation right now, we need unity and healing. And prayer brings about both of those things. So if we want to see change, if we want to see God move, then it starts with us praying for unity and healing, and it starts with us taking action to provide that unity and healing. It starts with the church being unified and providing that healing. And so what kind of healing does prayer bring? Well, I believe there's four main categories that almost everything falls into. So you have number one is the relational. We saw that with unity. Prayer brings about relational. When we pray and God intervenes in relationships, those relationships that were once broken will begin to be healed. Prayer brings about healing in our relationships. Secondly, it brings about emotional healing. Each of us have some kind of emotional scars, don't we? There has been something in our life that has wounded us deeply, and it has caused wreaked havoc on our lives. However, when we pray and God gets involved, we can be healed from our emotional wounds. It brings physical healing. I do believe in physical healing. It may look different than it did in the Bible times. I do believe that God uses modern medicine. But I do also believe that he works miraculously. I believe that God heals people physically today. So we have relational, we have emotional, we have physical, and then we have the healing from the ultimate curse, which is sin. Through prayer and repentance and the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and healed from the ultimate curse, which is sin, guys. Prayer brings about unity and healing. Prayer, passionate, fervent prayer brings unity and healing. When we come to God in prayer, when we go before our Heavenly Father in prayer, He can and will provide us with that unity and healing. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Church, we've got to go to prayer. We cannot just sit back and whine and cry and complain. We've got to pray about it. Because I'm not sure about you all, but the more I witness, the more I see, and the longer I live, the more I recognize that we need unity and healing. We need God to intervene right now. God's got to do something for us. John Stott once said this, in human terms, we say that the situation produces the person when, in a given set of circumstances, hitherto unsuspected funds of wisdom, leadership, strength of character, and purpose come to light. And he says, so it is with prayer. Prayer looks unimpressive and it is easy to despise, but its great resources are waiting for us to, be, uh, to tap in and they have a huge potency to release. Church, prayer has a huge potency, has power, we must never undermine that power. And if we are seeking unity and healing in our homes, churches, states, and nation, we must take it to God in prayer. It starts with us. We can't expect, wait and expect other people to do it. We have to do it, guys. It begins with you and I. J. Edgar Hoover said this, and this is where I close. The spectacle of a nation praying is more awe-inspiring than the explosion of an atomic bomb. The force of prayer is greater than any possible combination of man-made or man-controlled powers because prayer is man's greatest means of tapping the infinite resources of God. Invoking by prayer the mercy and might of God is our most effective means of guaranteeing peace and security for the harassed and helpless peoples of the earth. It's the most powerful tool we have. Are we using it? Church, if we want that unity and healing, it begins with prayer. Remember James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that ye may be healed the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amen. Worship team, come lead us again in song.